Loving Father, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Please soften our hearts to receive your word today. And by your spirit, give us a greater vision of your glory and grace that our lives may be shaped more and more in the likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Today's reading comes from Exodus 34, verse 29 to 35, followed by chapter 40, verse 17 to 38. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent, as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached to the poles, correction, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out, on the bre- and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the, cur- in front of the curtain and burned, burnt, burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put the water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the 
Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Thank you, Andrew. Well, what a journey it's been through Exodus this term. Um, As Steve mentioned, uh, we've sort of covered the whole book this term. If you're just here for the first time this week, uh, we've been looking at this amazing part of the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, uh, that tells the story of how the people of Israel came out of Egypt, uh, how God brought them out and brought them to himself. Today, as Steve also mentioned, we're thinking about glory. Uh, Every now and then we get moments of glory. I want to show you a recent moment of glory. We got it up on the screen. There we go. Now uh, there are a few. Uh, there seem to be a disproportionate amount of Queensland supporters here for South Australia. So there's a few Queensland supporters out there, aren't there? I can see maybe one or two. I don't know. Maybe they're not here today. Um, but yes, a moment of great glory as Queensland won the state of origin again. Go the Cane Toads. Um, you know the feeling, don't you? Maybe. Uh, we, we long for glory, actually. We long for that kind of feeling of glory. We yearn for it. It doesn't have to be sports. Uh, it could be anything, actually. It could be your work, the esteem that comes from your career. It could be chasing that experience of glory in nature or in a relationship or on the stage or on social media. But the thing about these moments of glory is that they always fade, don't they? They never last. So you climb a mountain, it's exhilarating, but then you have to climb back down again. Um, Your team wins, and then it's back to work or school, whatever it is the next day, and and then the whole thing just repeats again the next year. And after a few years, you think, oh, hang on, what am I getting so worked up about? Um, the fairy tale wedding, followed by the hard work of real marriage. Your photo gets a hundred likes, but tomorrow you won't be satisfied with anything less than a hundred and one likes. What's going on with this thirst for glory? This thirst for glory. Well, I think it's helpful to ask the question: What is glory? What's this whole concept of glory? Uh, in the Old Testament, the word for glory literally means weight. Or heaviness. Uh, it's not talking literally. It's, a, it's kind of a metaphor. So, and we still use it sort of today. You know, we talk about someone who has weight in their community or something like that. Is, this person is a, a person of substance, of weight. They're a person of significance. They have a glory. There's a sense in which we're made for glory. That longing for significance, for importance for meaning. 
kind of hardwired into us. Um, God has set eternity into our hearts. It's part of being made in God's image. The problem is we yearn for this glory so much that we, we seek for it in the wrong places. We seek for it in the wrong places. Last week we looked at the a horrible fall of Israel into idolatry and the whole issue of idolatry. One way of thinking about idolatry is the quest for looking for glory in the wrong place. To seek that, that weightiness, that significance, that sense of being important from, you know, fill in the blanks, sport, money, fame, career, family, friends, control, pleasure, whatever else. <laughs> Friends, the tragedy is those things can't bear the weight of our expectation. There's only one true source of glory. Glory belongs to God alone. So think about those things we talked about right at the start, those things we talked about before. Um, Instead of kind of receiving them with thankfulness as undeserved gifts and sort of giving glory to God through that, it, it can be very easy for us to pursue them we invest them with a, with a weight that they just can't bear. That we, we kind of pursue them as idols rather than receiving them as good gifts. And it leaves us empty. Our idols don't satisfy that hunger within us for glory. But here's the big idea of today, friends. Yahweh, the truly glorious God, doesn't just satisfy our yearning for glory His glory transforms us. His glory transforms us. Uh, You get a glimpse of that in these last chapters of Exodus. Maybe you picked it up as we read through. Um, Encountering God's glory on the mountain transformed Moses. So uh, in chapter 34, when he comes back down the mountain, his face is lit up. Uh, It's kind of a bit strange to, to picture that, but his face is like radiating, it's shining. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, so the covenant is reestablished. Um, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So being, uh, speaking with God, being addressed by God, uh, uh, coming into God's glory transformed Moses, like physically, his face shone because of it. But it also transformed the Israelites. There's, there's a real surprise in these last few chapters of Exodus. Uh, last week we saw how the people unbelievably turned their back on Yahweh after all he'd done for them. They gave up on God and that led them into all kinds of immorality, all kinds of disobedience towards God. But you read from Exodus 35, kind of where we're starting today, and it's sort of as if none of that ever happened. As we saw last week, God graciously restored his people through their mediator, through Moses. And that act of incredible grace and glory transformed the, the people of Israel. So you read these chapters and, uh, you know, whereas before they kind of threw their gold into the fire to make their idol, here um, they give, they, they overwhelmingly give their money and their time and their talents to Yahweh for the building of his tabernacle. So um, I'm, we'll do a little bit of flicking around so you can look in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen too. Uh, in chapter 35, verse, down in verse 21, you read this. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. 
And you keep reading and you find out these, the people just keep giving and giving and giving and this miracle happens. This miracle happens uh, because Moses has to tell them to stop giving. <laughs> he says they've got more than enough to do all the work. See what's going on? Encountering God's transforming glory transformed these people into a, into a people of overflowing generosity. And there's something else really important in these chapters. You, you might have picked it up as Andrew read through. You might have thought, why are you reading through these instructions about the tabernacle? Um, these chapters have, have long descriptions about how this tabernacle, this tent where God would live with his people, how it was built. And as you read through, you think, I, I think I'm getting a sense of deja vu. And you are, because it's almost word for word what was in the earlier chapters when God gave the instructions to Moses. But and it's, it, what, what, what it's showing us is that what we read earlier as instructions is now actually happening. And there's this phrase repeated over and over again. Andrew read it out. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. See what's happening here? Encountering God's glory transformed Moses. And it transformed the people from being idolaters into being worshippers of the true God. And that flowed out in overflowing generosity and willing obedience to God in his word. It's a transforming glory. Well, uh, friends, what I want to do now is just quickly trace this theme of God's glory. Uh, it's sort of uh, uh, it's the last sermon in this series, so what I'm going to do is trace this theme all, actually all the way through the book of Exodus. It's quite interesting. The glory of God doesn't actually sort of come up in Genesis. It's, it's here in Exodus that this whole idea of the glory of God comes into laser-sharp view. And the glory of God appears at key moments. Um, so the first time this, this glory of God is mentioned is back in chapter 14, as the people have just been saved out of Egypt. They're escaping, they're, on, they're kind of escaping out of Egypt after the plagues had been sent by God. And God tells Moses in chapter 14, verse 4, that he'll gain glory for himself through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. Um, in, in Exodus, uh, hopefully this is familiar to you, this idea of God's glory, that there's this physical kind of representation of God's glory. Um, a visible sign of it. It's this cloud, um, not kind of a cotton wool cartoon fluffy cloud, but a thick, dense cloud hiding within it the intense brightness of the glory of Yahweh. And this cloud leads this people out of Egypt and they get to the edge of the Red Sea and the cloud sort of cuts the army of Pharaoh off from the people so that they can cross over on the, on the dry grounds, remember that? And then God wins this great victory over Pharaoh as his army is swallowed up by the sea. And on the other side of the shore, Moses sings this in chapter 15, Who among the gods is like you, lords? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. So God's, this glory of God, his weightiness, his significance, is shown in this, his incredible works of power, um, his mighty work of saving his people out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, we're going to build this picture of the glory of God. It's not only in his mighty works, his power, 
Um, the next time God's glory gets mentioned, it's interesting, it's when the people start grumbling. Remember that? So they come out and they're, they're sort of traveling through the desert uh, and just days later they start grumbling against God and God provides food for them. And in chapter 16, verse 10, we read this, they looked out towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. See what's going on here? So God's glory at the Red Sea meant the Egyptians would know he is the Lord. Here, God's glory leads his people to know who he is. He is the Lord their God. But you keep reading and God's glory doesn't stay off in the distance. Uh, what happens, flick over to chapter 24. Um, God's glory comes near at Mount Sinai. So the, the, the people travel to Mount Sinai. God establishes his covenant with them there. And then you read this in chapter 24. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud, this, this physical sign of the awesome glory of God covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud to the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain God's presence with his people was glorious and that's actually how the whole book ends um, and we read it earlier um, the, the, the glory of Yahweh moves from the mountaintop into the tabernacle that has been built, this, this special tent. So we read in chapter 40, then the cloud, this cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the, this tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is, this is a great theme of this whole book, this epic book, is that God would come in all his glory to dwell with his people. That moment at the end of the book, whole book is actually like the climax of the whole thing. And God's presence is seen in this overwhelming glory. But there's one more really, really crucial thing about God's glory that comes through in Exodus we're going to backtrack a few chapters because we read it last week. I said we'd come back to it. Uh, if you remember where we were up to last week, Moses is actually up on the mountain pleading for his people, pleading to God not to destroy them, asking him to forgive them and go with them, interceding for them, being their mediator. And at the end of the whole back and forth conversation between God and Moses, Moses asks God this really surprising question. Uh, God says, okay, I'll do what you ask, Moses, because I'm pleased with you. He will go with them. And then in 33 verse 18, Moses asks this incredibly bold question. Moses said, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, I reckon you get to this point and you think, hang on a second. <laughs> Hasn't God already done that? Hasn't God already done that? Uh, Moses has seen God's glory. He was there at the Red Sea, in the desert, 
in the mountain. I mean, he, Moses is up inside the cloud right now on the mountain. What more of God's glory could he possibly need to see? But there is more. There is more. And this is wonderful. This is wonderful. See how God responds. Moses asks to see God's glory. And the Lord says in verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my... You see, did you pick that up? You expect God to say, I will cause all of my glory to pass in front of you. What does he say? I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Moses asks to see God's glory, his, to feel his weightiness, his significance, at what is at the very heart of his being. And God responds not by doing some even more impressive miracles than he's already done. That wouldn't show Moses the full extent of his glory. How does God respond? He responds by showing Moses his goodness. His goodness. The pinnacle of God's glory ultimately is not in his displays of power, but in his goodness. In his goodness. In his name, which as we saw last week, was compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. That is God's glory. And Moses isn't allowed to see it fully. Uh, we read it last week. God kind of hides him in a rock. And only once the glory has passed by, this goodness has passed by, can Moses look. He's only allowed to see its afterglow. It's a little bit like... Um, you know, the um, fluorescent light bulbs, if anyone still has them, you, t you flick them off and you still see it glowing for a little while afterwards. That's kind of like what Moses is allowed to see of the glory of God. Just the afterglow. That's all he could handle of this glorious goodness. But that was enough. That was enough to transform him. It was enough to transform this people. But of course, that's not the end of the story, because you know that that transformation was only temporary, right? It was only temporary. The tragic story of the Old Testament is of God's people continuing in their idolatry. I mean, Exodus finishes really well, uh, but the story descends from there on. Despite God's continued goodness to them, they keep repeating the golden calf episode over and over again, until by the time you get towards the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel has this vision of the temple, like the permanent tabernacle that was built by King Solomon. But this time, God's glory isn't descending on it. God's glory is leaving it. It's leaving it. And it's a devastating vision. The glory of God is leaving. The full weight of his goodness and mercy has left the building, has left the people. Until, until in the fullness of time, at the consummation of the ages, the true tabernacle, the ultimate temple, God himself in flesh came. 
We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. It's worth seeing again. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, or remember what that literally is, and tabernacled among us. And what have we seen? We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All of a sudden, God's glory, his goodness, the fullness of his grace and truth is back, but in an even brighter and more glorious and far better way than before. And who could have predicted it, right? This ultimate glory came not as a conquering king, not according to the world's idea of glory. He came in weakness, in humility. A humble carpenter, a man of sorrows, who would bring about the ultimate defeat of the world's great enemies, sin and the devil and even death itself. By himself dying a shameful death on the cross and then rising again to glorious new life and ascending to the Father's right hand as Lord of all and sending his spirit to be present among his people right through to the end of the age. Friends, that gospel, that wonderful news, that is where you see God's glory shine brightest because that's where you see God's goodness poured out to its fullest extent. Um, that's how the Apostle Paul reflects on all of this in 2 Corinthians, in this really wonderful passage. Um, I mentioned before, a couple of weeks ago, it's worth read, reading Hebrews 8 to 10 about the tabernacle. These chapters are really worth reading as well um, to sort of bring out some of the things we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. But listen to this from 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, that's talking about the old covenant, Moses' um, covenant with Israel, uh, between God and Israel, if the ministry that brought, brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, it did, it was incredible glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, and it was incredibly glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So think about that moment in Exodus, God's glory on the mountain moving from that into the tabernacle, the, the incredible presence of God in glory. Imagine being there. It would be amazing, right? You'd never forget it. And yet, see what Paul says? That's nothing. It pales into almost insignificance, not in its own rights, 
It's, it's wonderful and good, but compared with God's glory revealed in Jesus. When you put the two together, there's no contest. And so if that fading temporary glory transformed the Israelites so dramatically, what do you think this glory is going to do for God's people in Christ? It brings about a far more dramatic, lasting and eternal transformation. And that's what Paul says. He goes on to say, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, since we have, this is such a hope, and we have it in Christ, and since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. He's talking there about himself, giving himself for the work of the gospel. It's in these chapters. And the building of Christ's body, this kind of spiritual tabernacle of the church. He says, because of this, because of God's glory in Christ, we give ourselves to this with boldness. And, and then what he does is he goes on to use that image of the veil. Remember the veil that covered Moses' face? Um, and he says, just like Moses was veiled to stop people seeing God's glory... There's something similar going on today when people's hearts are veiled so that they can't see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But in verse 16, and here is the great news for everyone, for you. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." You see the enormity of this. Moses couldn't look on God's face and live. We come face to face with God in Jesus. And seeing him, seeing his glory in the gospel is what transforms us from the inside out as we contemplate his glory, you see what's being said there? It's kind of like his glory rubs off on us. It leaves its afterglow on us. But unlike Moses' face, which sort of faded after a while, this glory just keeps getting brighter and brighter, heavier and heavier, better and better. It's an ever-increasing glory. This is how God wants to transform you. To day by day grow you and help you to change. Through a vision of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you get that? How do you get that vision? How do you contemplate Jesus? His glory? Uh, well, just if you've got, it's not on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, you can see in the very next chapter, in chapter 4, 
Paul says that it's the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. It's the light of the gospel, the great announcement of Jesus in his word that displays the glory of Christ. When you, you will see the glory of Christ when you hear by faith the gospel of Christ. Um, Moses' face was transformed when God spoke to him. And that's how he transforms us, through the word of his gospel. By his Spirit, as you hear his word, as you read it, as you hear it proclaimed to you, he takes the veil away from your hearts and enables you to see who Jesus really is. As you hear his word, as you hear it read, as you read it by yourselves, in your families, in your home groups, as you hear it preached on Sundays. Friends, this is so helpful for what you should be looking for. Whenever you come to God's word, what you should be eager for, what you can be eager for by God's spirit. You should be praying that by God's spirit, he would enable you as you encounter his word, read it, hear it, that he would enable you to see Jesus, to glimpse something new of his glory again and again and again. Because that is what will change you. That is what will transform you as God wants to transform you. Trying harder won't work. More rules won't work. Seeking a, a spiritual experience won't work. Uh, friends, maybe you know you're striving for glory in the wrong places. Uh, maybe those glimpses of glory we thought about at the start, may, maybe you can see that you're not actually just receiving them as good gifts, but you're pursuing them as idols. And you know, you know that glory belongs to God alone, but maybe you feel stuck. Well, like so many things in the Christian life, um, deep transformation actually often doesn't come when we're looking for it, um, when we're striving for it in our own strength. Gospel, this is what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians, gospel transformation comes not when we're looking at ourselves, but when we're looking at Jesus. When our vision is taken up with him. When we strive to get to know him better. When we let ourselves feel the weight of his glory, which is his goodness. Which is his goodness. So as we wrap things up with Exodus, let that weight bear down on you today, now in your heart and in your mind. Let that weight bear down on you. Quench your thirst for glory in the only place it can be quenched, on him. Turn to Christ your Lord and see his goodness. See his goodness, which is his glory, and see it not just as an abstract quality that he has, but his goodness for you. For you his tender love and mercy for you. See him taking your sins on the cross, 
completely wiping them away, all of them. See him as the risen Lord who will come again to judge and renew all things and to live with his people in the fullness of his glory and his goodness. So fix your eyes on him. Feel that weight of his glory. And with ever-increasing glory, you will be transformed into his image. Let's pray. Let me pray for us. I'm going to pray a prayer to finish up of thanksgiving that ties a lot of these things together. Almighty God and merciful Father, we give you humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We praise you for creating and sustaining us and for all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your amazing love in redeeming the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, giving us grace and the hope of glory. Give us such a sense of all your goodness that we may be truly thankful and may praise you not only with our lips but in our lives by serving you in holy and righteous ways through Jesus Christ our Lord to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honour and glory now and forever. Amen.